Hello, and welcome to the Fast Leader Podcast. HFL is producing the podcast to help the ongoing learning of our alumni of Fast Lead Small Group Coaching and Leadership Development Program. At HFL, we're about helping frontline leaders lead better and be the best leaders they can be, because every employee should have an inspiring leader. Hello, my name is Darren Fox, and I'm your Fast Leader MC. And this episode of the Fast Leader Podcast is about managing conflict in the workplace. While we often think of conflict as yelling and arguing, conflict is not inherently bad. Future conversations we are worried about could be uncomfortable or rarely as troublesome as we think they might be. In fact, conflict can enhance relationships and improve processes. Most of us know this from our previous experiences. The vast majority of conversations we worry about rarely pan out to be as bad as we thought they could be. Yet, we all tend to avoid conflict or mismanagement in some way. One of the questions we'll explore in this podcast is why is that? Joining us in today's podcast, we have Tracy McGrath from Tracy McGrath International and Alistair Gordon, CEO of HFL Leadership. Tracy and Alistair, thank you for joining us. Hi, Darren. How are you doing? Welcome. So, Tracy and Alistair, why do we continue to be so uncomfortable with facing a future situation which may lead to conflict, even though the majority of our previous experiences tell us that the conflict is unlikely to be as bad as we imagine? Tracy, with your background in psychology, I might ask you to start us off with your views. Well, you think about it. As human beings, Darren, we're herd animals. And one of the things we absolutely fear is being thrown out of the herd because traditionally, if you weren't part of a group, you died. And so we have a lot of wiring to encourage us to play well with the other kids. And so if we don't like something they're doing, it can be really hard for us to actually challenge them and face that fear. Alistair, would you add anything to that? But I might also ask you, how can conflict be useful if it actually is managed effectively? I had an early leader of mine many moons ago who told me that if I wasn't having conflicts with people, I wasn't trying hard enough, particularly where we're trying to find new ways of doing things, be more productive, increase the capability of our team members and so on and so forth. You know, you're really asking them to stretch and guess what? If the stretch is easy for them, they'll just do it. But if the stretch is really stretched, they'll push back, they'll have a lack of confidence and so on. So I think it is a good sign that you're trying to build a high performance team if you're getting some conflict. The the conflict that's very difficult is where it's with you personally as leader, or it's between maybe two people on your team. And as Tracy was saying, we have a sort of kind of natural pretensity to believe that conflict is bad and therefore we avoid it and we let it fester and as soon as it festers then you know it just gets worse and worse so it really is a core skill as a leader if you can quickly and sensibly and calmly deal with conflict you're likely to be able to develop a high performance team and one that's happy as well. And Alistair is absolutely right because you think about it we get taught how to read and write But you think of your schooling, you don't get a lot of training in how to interact with diverse others. And that's where Fast Lead and other leadership programs help. And they inevitably have a component around conflict. It is an essential skill for success, both personally and professionally. Conflict opens up the fact that people have different timeframes. You know, if you're fairly task-focused, you might be pushing for a solution quite quickly because it's your nature. Someone who's more people-focused might need to discuss it a lot longer, might need to consult with others. All of these 
our inherent conflicts because we're going about things differently and maybe even we need different amounts of information. So an effective leader needs to understand that people will approach conflict differently and they need to be comfortable and flexible and adjust to the different people in their team. Alastair, would you agree? Uh, Yeah, and interestingly, I think Darren and I would know with the Fastly program that I think leaders know how important managing conflict is because it is so debilitating. As you say, it's sleepless nights and people worrying about things. And when we ask participants of Fastly to choose topics themselves, which is an option that quite a lot of our clients take up, conflict management is probably the second most popular topic that they choose to talk about. They understand They need to be good at it. They understand how important it is and they understand it's worth investing time in. The other one, by the way, is managing up. That's the other one that they choose. Funny that. Yes. Another reason why conflict can be helpful is that it can often lead to personal growth, self-awareness and insights into others. How does conflict achieve this and how specifically can people leaders obtain these benefits? Yes, it's a great question, uh, Darren, because, you know, very often feedback leads to conflict because somebody's telling us something that we either don't know or we didn't agree with or, you know, it might be negative. I, I know you're going to find this difficult to believe, but, you know, occasionally people tell me I talk too much I've noticed. and I don't like being told <laughs> that. But then when I reflect on it, I do get to the point where it's possible that I do talk a little bit too much. They're clearly wrong, Alastair. Yes, I, I totally agree with you, Tracy. It's very kind of you to say so. But that's a, it's a perfect example of where you might even know that you're doing something that irritates other people, but you just can't help yourself at times. And so the immediate conflict is created by someone giving you that feedback. And it's particularly created if they give that feedback to you in a reasonably negative way, like in a, an unempathetic way. That's right. In terms of how um, you can learn from it, which I think was the second part of your question, and how to deal with it, I think Tracy sort of mentioned this a little bit earlier on. People have different views, different opinions. There is diversity in the world. And we're not adequately taught from an early age how to deal with diversity. And there's probably more diversity these days in the workplace than ever before. I mean, if you take Australia as an example, it's such a multinational, multicultural workplace. So you've got people coming from all sorts of different angles, opinions, and so on and so forth. And a lot of our culture in some ways is that we have to be right and everyone else is wrong. And that's where conflict comes from. You know, if you don't have the curiosity, as Tracy was mentioning earlier on, to really want to know why somebody thinks differently or want to know why they think that the plan I've just made for increasing the number of widgets we produce is rubbish and it's it's not going to work. The ability to not turn that into a conflict, but turn that into a learning, discovery, collaboration. These are skills that we need to learn. And sometimes it means we also need to park what we've previously been taught. Thanks. And I really think being open to feedback is not just useful for our professional relationships, but our personal relationships as well. So that brings us to the end of part one of our podcast. Part two will be right back where I ask our guests to discuss various approaches we can take to resolving conflict. So this is going to be a very practical section of the podcast. And in part three, I'm hoping Tracy and Alistair might share a personal experience where they faced a significant difficult situation. Experts and technical specialists have never been more important or in demand, but that's not reflected in the leadership training they're given. Unlock the business potential of experts with Expertship. 
HFL's new development program for the individual contributors, technical specialists, and other experts in your organization. If innovation and business agility are important to you, learn more at expertunity.global. Welcome back to part two of this Fast Leader podcast about managing conflict. In the Fast Leader program, we discuss five key approaches we can take to address a conflict and emphasize that there's no right or wrong. However, some approaches are better suited to certain situations. And many of us will likely have a natural approach we tend to favor and overuse over others, even if they may not be the best approach. These approaches are called avoid, accommodate, compete, compromise, and collaborate. I'm hoping that uh, each of you could go through each of these five approaches, Alistair and Tracy, and what situations are each of the best for, and some of your best hints and tips for leaders to effectively utilize that approach. So Alistair, I thought we'd start off with you talking about the avoid approach. Yes, so the avoid strategy actually is the strategy that most leaders seem to use most of the time and do it when they shouldn't. But there are some very good times to use the avoid. So for example, you know, if you're trying to achieve something and trying to get agreement about something on a team and somebody's deliberately trying to wind you up, then you might just decide to just park that and not respond to it and, you know, move forward because you've got a bigger agenda to do. Or you might avoid the conflict because the person looks like they're really emotional or they're upset or there's something else going on. There's many reasons why you might use avoid But you should do so deliberately rather than as a default sense. With the number of participants I've worked with as frontline leaders, their biggest problem is that they use avoid too much. They hope that by putting their head in the sand and by putting their fingers in their ears and making a loud noise that somehow the conflict will go away. And whenever we debrief it in the coaching pods or other programs, pretty much everyone agrees they very rarely go away. Um, What happens is they just get worse and they get out of control and they become much more difficult to resolve. So Tracy, do you have anything to add to that point? With a void, absolutely. Career limiting statements. When you just know you're about to say something that would be totally unwise, that's a lovely time to avoid it. Or if you have a staff member who's so emotionally upset that you don't want them speaking right now, in which case you want them to avoid it. And that's when I say, look, go take a time out, go for a walk around the block. We'll pick this up a bit later. So Tracy, what about the accommodate approach? Accommodate is really common, particularly in frontline staff. But what can happen is it leads to they become the bottleneck because these are the people, they neglect their own concerns in order to satisfy the concerns of others, whether it's the boss or the peers. So they're just coming across and they're saying yes to everything. So they come across as selfish, um, a good team player. That's a phrase that's often used about them. Now, the benefits are people like working with them. You know, these are the easy people to get along with, but there are a whole load of associated costs because every now and again, if you're an accommodator habitually, that's when we might see passive aggressive behaviour because all of a sudden they've gone and got upset with you. They don't know how to tell you no, so they maybe give you the silent treatment or they avoid you or they worse, they say yes to work and then don't deliver on it. So they can then be the nightmare. And often I'll see they'll get up maybe to middle management 
but won't necessarily go further unless they're totally in a yes culture, and that's no good for anyone. Great. Thanks. So that's with the accommodate style. Alistair, compete. Okay. Well, competing, I think, is a very good tactic when time is of the essence, Darren, you know, where you really have to make a decision quickly. And yes, there's going to be some conflict and we're going to have to compete and argue. And then eventually somebody's going to have to make a call. And usually, of course, it's the leader that makes a call. So, you know, when you have to either protect yourself or make a cost-cutting decision or, you know, there's change that needs to be driven through or there's a deadline, these are the things probably where you need to be assertive and compete for your point of view. I would argue, Darren, that the there is a good way of doing that and a bad way of doing it. Quite often you have a situation where when people put ideas forward, they end up owning them. So, for example... Darren argues that we should be drinking water at this meeting and Tracy argues that we should be drinking wine and I happen to know that is exactly what Tracy would argue. (laughs) It's true, it's true. (laughs) But then the argument becomes between Darren and Tracy, not between wine and water and actually the argument should be between wine and water. So it's a common mistake that I see in a lot of conversations where people end up taking sides with people as opposed to properly looking at the ideas and and having a a discussion and conflict about the ideas and outcomes rather than who proposed them. And uh, I might just add, uh, Tracy, that should it ever come down to it, I will never be arguing for water. (laughs) I guarantee that won't happen. I'm pleased to hear that, Darren. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Alistair, for that. Tracy, the next one is compromise. Okay. Well, compromise, it's one of the earliest skills we get, and it's a little bit of assertiveness, a little bit of cooperativeness. And Usually people are just trying to find an expedient, mutually acceptable solution. And the way they do it typically is split the difference. So with compromise, typically if my price is $100, you only want to pay $50, then the typical response with compromise is let's meet in the middle. Now, the benefits, it's a quick decision. It gets people moving forward. The challenge with it is... There's no real buy-in. No one's got quite what they wanted. And if we are pushing too quickly to a compromise, there's no real discussion either. And so whatever the merits of the two different viewpoints are, they don't properly get aired. And if you're working with someone who is a compromiser, you're probably going to limit the degree to which you get robust discussion. Mm, I agree. In fact, I think compromise is dramatically overrated because exactly as you said, Tracy, it means that neither party get what they want and both are uncomfortable about having to give ground. And actually the right decision might not be $75. It might be, you know, 53 or it might might be 101. Mm. But unless you are prepared to sit down and look at all of the benefits or not of $50, benefits or not of $100, benefits or not of 75 then I think you're not going to get, you know, compromise very often is an easy way to make a poor decision. This is where I was saying that I think it's not always true. There are, there are times when compromise is a really good idea. I'm, I'm just referencing my you know, personal relationship at home. Compromise is a really good strategy there for me. But in business, quite often, it means that we're leaving value on the table and we're making, we're not making the right decision. We're just making a decision that will make the conflict go away and then we can move on. 
I think you just described most marriages, <laughs> Alistair, in terms of compromise seems to work for me. <laughs> I might use that as a segue, though, Tracy. I mean, because you, you also start talking about collaborate, which is the last of the five approaches in the FASTA program we discussed. Yes. Alistair, would you like to collaborate on collaborate? Oh, beautifully put, Darren. Thank you. Collaborating is where we're both being assertive and cooperative. So in other words, we're driving for a solution but we're doing so in a cooperative manner. Very difficult skill. And there are lots of people, I think Tracy was just, we literally just gave me a perfect example of where someone's actually accommodating, but they think they're collaborating and they're not. So huge benefits because if it's done properly, it means everybody buys in to the result because they've all felt heard. Um, they've all had their point of view. Probably in a perfect collaboration, almost everybody has changed their position slightly. And so the new position really is the position of the group rather than any individual leader or uh, loud voice and what have you. The costs of doing it is, generally speaking, perceived to be time. Oh, if I had to ask everybody what they think, it's going to take way longer. It's just better to make a decision. And then if they really are cap about it, well, I, I might change it. But I think that's to do with technique. It's missing the point of really good collaboration, just like all the sort of the hackathons and things that we see are done time-bound quite quickly. Everyone knows the rules going in and it's co-creating a solution that, you know, not only can everybody live with, but maybe no one on the group had imagined that solution before they actually walked into that room. And if you can get to that stage, you're going to be leading an unbelievably high-performance team, innovating all the time, producing brilliant results, and you won't be leading that team for long. You'll be leading lots of teams. For me, I remind people of two things. One is just because I'm disagreeing, I'm disagreeing with your point of view at this point of time. And you add more information, I might change my position. And the second thing is disagreement doesn't mean disagreeable because so many of us are afraid. If I disagree, people won't like me, I'll make things worse, I'll get a poor reputation, and that's unpleasant. Thanks. So that's great advice, Tracy. That brings us to the end of part two of this fascinating podcast. So stay with us at the third part where Tracy and Alistair each share a personal story about a significant conflict they experienced. Are you a frontline leader ready for your next step? Fast Lead Plus is a program of short, sharp, small group coaching sessions to prepare you to take that next step. In a small, tight-knit group, you're coached by an experienced leadership mentor with plenty of time between sessions to practice new skills and tools. Improve your leadership capability and confidence. Learn more at fastlead.com. Welcome back, and we are in the third and final section of this Fast Leader podcast. We sometimes like to finish the last section of the podcast with some personal reflection or story. Both of you, I hope you'd be willing to share a quick story about a significant conflict that you have faced with another individual or group. And what approach did you take among the five that we discussed so far and why and what was the outcome? So Tracy, could we start off with a personal story from you? I had a fascinating experience last year. Um, as a psychologist, I work in a specialist psychology clinic specializing in the resource industries on Saturdays they've got a lot of great receptionists and then they have one other 
and to fast track the story, there was a conflict. They were unhappy about working. They were throwing a tantrum. And I think we were all a bit surprised, but everybody has bad days. The interesting thing was the tantrum was still going five hours later in between clients. The net result was it impacted on two of my clients, both of which were high-risk suicide. And I'm actually really easygoing, but there's a couple of things. If you do them, you're going to get on my nerve. And one is don't mess with my clients and don't mess with my professionalism. Now, the interesting thing, and I learned so many useful things about conflict, was the story progressed, went over a number of weeks, managing director got involved, clinic head got involved. And as it unfolded, I realised this receptionist in no way acknowledged any aspects of the situation as being their fault. And when I reflected on it, if you're dealing with someone who's not owning any part of it, because let's face it, it always takes two to tango, it means that three of our five conflict modes aren't possible. Collaborating requires two people to be owning what's happening. Compromise does. The third one is accommodate. If you accommodate someone who's not owning that they're part of the problem, you're just going to make the problem worse. So the only two options you have left are competing or avoiding. Now, that sounds quite black and white. Now, in the workplace, obviously, we're professionals. We can't avoid people, not if you're going to be effective. And so I was thinking about it a lot, and I thought, all right, where's my professional standard for behaviour? And I thought, across the board, no matter who it is, they're entitled to my courtesy. They're entitled to appropriate eye contact and body language. They're entitled to appropriate amounts of information so you don't magically drop them off email lists or don't tell them things so they can't do their job properly. But what I also realised is there are some things they're not entitled to. So let's say we came in and you were there and the receptionist was there and the receptionist said to me, oh, how was your weekend? Being professional, I'd still say I had a lovely weekend. How was yours? Now, let's say, though, they weren't there and you said, Tracy, how's your weekend? It's you and Alistair. I get along well with both of you. I might say, oh, we had a great weekend. We went on a picnic or we did this. I share more with you because I have a better relationship with you too. So competing is another way of saying you put boundaries on the relationship and avoiding is you work out what information is ruled in and what information is ruled out. And what it does is it gives you some very clear professional boundaries for managing those hopefully rare but very difficult individuals who don't own negative aspects of their own behavior. That's a great story. What I really like uh, is one of the things that you said is around how even though someone disagrees with you, they are deserving of certain respect from you in terms of even some of the basics. And it even came up again with the coaching conversation that I had in the Fast Lead pod just prior to this, where it was a coaching and developing others session, but it morphed into how do you coach someone through a conflict? And I won't use the language that my coach used. Uh, let's say he used the word jerk. It wasn't that polite. We said, well, no one comes to work to be a jerk, mm-hmm. right? They are coming from a reason. And just because they disagree with you doesn't mean that they're any less human or their motivators are any less important than yours. It's a really good, important point to make. Thank you. And Alistair, what about your uh, personal story? Would you like to share one? Well, I'm laughing away here because 
uh, when I got into conflict on my story, um, I did exactly all the things that Tracy didn't do. I didn't show him any respect. I didn't show him any courtesy. I dropped him off the email list. He was a contractor for my company. I never used him again. I, I spoke badly about him to everybody I knew. And even to people who didn't even know him, I spoke badly about him. And I was furious with him. And you might ask yourself, right, what would make a perfectly reasonable person like Alistair be furious with someone like this? And the answer was he tried to get me fired. So uh, we were having a disagreement about a particular piece of work that he'd done. And I was refusing to publish it because I was a publisher at the time. And so he went above my head to my boss and said to my boss that he didn't think I was very good at doing my job and you should get rid of Alistair and get someone in who's going to run his articles. And I thought about, you know, cur- you know, being curious and I thought about being nice to him and so on and so forth. But I was in a bit of a rush to advance my career at the time. So I cut him off. And the irony is that in the industry that I was in, we bumped into each other all the time. We were going to the same drinks. We were going to the same press conferences. Uh, We even spent three days in South Carolina together in a group of six people and managed for three days not to speak to each other once. It was the weirdest thing. And eventually my wife, who is a Buddhist, I came down, I think I had a really bad day, I got a really horrible email from this person or whatever the case may be. And she noticed that I was absolutely intensely angry. Like I was, you know, that expression, your blood's boiling. That's exactly what it was like. It was this whole thing had taken over me. And uh, she slapped me around the, the head and said, and she said, right, you should pick up the phone and go and apologize to him. Say you're sorry, hit reset, start again etc. And I wasn't having any of that until she said she was, you know, I'd never get fed again. So the next morning, I picked up the phone. I I must have stared at the phone trace an hour, an hour, I would say. And anyway, I picked it up, rang his number, cell phone, and said, you know, you're not going to believe who this is, but it's Alistair, and I'm ringing up to apologise. At which point this person burst into tears at the other end and said, I had been meaning to pick up the phone and ring you and apologise for, you know, X period of time. So really, really appalling behaviour around conflict. It festered, it went on and on. I just feel sorry for those people in South Carolina. I mean, they had the worst weekend of their lives. Talk about tiptoeing on broken eggshells. When you reflect on it, I've learned so much from that one incident, which is, where I have a really bad conflict with someone, I pick up the phone to them straight away or ask for a meeting and say, look, we're having a huge disagreement here. And, you know, I'd really love to really listen to your point of view and tell me everything that you're upset with and tell me everything I've done wrong. And let, let me give you some, let me take that on board and, let me, and then I'll say what upset me. And we might not be able to agree on it, but let's at least get it out in the open and not let it stay inside and fester. And I find that works so well, by and large, but it requires vulnerability and it requires courage, real courage. And just coming back to Darren's point, I mean, people do not come to work by and large. There are probably a very small percentage of people who do, but they don't come to work to be a jerk and they're human. And, you know, what I discovered about this particular person is that he he was going through a marriage breakup. He was under pressure. 
This was affecting his work. I wasn't the only one not publishing his stuff. And of course, if I'd have taken just a modicum of time to understand any of that, it would have completely changed the way I approached rejecting his work. You know, I would have gone back and said, can you fix it up? Can you do this? And so it's just that ability to put yourself in the shoes of the other person. It doesn't mean you need to agree with them. You don't need to sympathise with them, but at least you can empathise from where they're coming from. And if you understand where they're coming from, you're much more likely to find common ground that works for both of you. I'm not talking about compromise, but common ground that is an effective solution. Totally agree. Thank you. No, really, thanks, Tracy and Alistair, for all your uh, great insights into managing conflict. I'm positive that our listeners are going to get some great value from this past half hour. But before we sign off, I'm wondering if uh, you'd like to say a few words about uh, your organizations and the services you provide. Tracy, what about your organization? Well, technically, we're specialists in workplace effectiveness. But I have to be honest, Darren, that very often means we're specialists in workplace naughtiness because very few organisations are preemptive. So pretty much if an organisation is having difficulties, I'm the person they pick up the phone and call. And I've learned, particularly after you've listened to scenario and you go, oh, I'm not touching that with a barge pole, I've actually learned to say, I'll come in, tell me more about it. And then I help them design solutions. But I design solutions that will fit their organisation. This notion of you apply best practice everywhere, regardless of the culture, is crazy because some cultures just can't cope with best practice. It's what do they need. And Alistair, I'd like to say a few words about HFL. Yeah, so we design leadership programs for all levels and do a lot of executive coaching. And part of what we do is we find the best executive coaches in different places. So Tracy is one of our superstar executive coaches in WA. Mm -hmm. And we have a network around the whole country. And we also have this thing called Expertship, which is where we build development programs that help build the enterprise skills of experts. Uh, but probably our fastest growing segment is the fast lead small group coaching programs where, you know, a lot of the reader, the listeners, readers, I'm going back to my publishing days, a lot of the listeners will have been through that program and know what that's like. So lots of different things. Thanks, Alistair. And thanks to both of you for helping us out with the podcast. Thanks, Tracy, for joining us out in uh, Western Australia. Been my pleasure. And Alistair, thank you. Even if when we're recording this, you won't let us into Western Australia. Thanks so much, yeah, Tracy. Not yet, at least. <laughs> All yeah. right. Thank you to you both. Thank you for listening to the Fast Leader Podcast. I'm Darren Fox, Chief Research Officer and Principal Consultant at HFL. You can email us at info at with any questions. We'd love to hear ideas about topics for future podcasts. You can also check out the Fast Lead website fastlead.com for supporting material from this podcast. Watch out for our future podcasts as we explore each of the 14 Fastlead topics in more detail and discuss some of the latest management research, news, and topical issues of the day. And until next time, this has been the Fastlead podcast. Thank you. Thank you.